Amen. Welcome, Journey. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and uh, just a great big welcome to those in the house, but also those watching online. We welcome you guys as well. We love you. And uh, wanted, before we get into God's Word together, wanted to give you an update on our parking lot expansion. So about a month ago, or probably longer ago than that, I came to you and let you know that our plan is to expand parking. In the second service, you guys kind of get that a little bit more, the need for that. But um, our goal is in the next couple of weeks to begin excavation. The total price of adding 50 new spaces and actually paving uh, the area over by our offices as well is going to be $94,650. And I'm happy to report that already in um, actual gifts and, and people just saying, hey, this is a commitment that I'm making, that we've had over 15,000 come in. So we're at about 79,000. And here's the deal. Our board has already decided that, that whatever parts we can't raise, we're going to take from, we have an emergency fund that we have, and it's a, it's a healthy fund. And so uh, just wanted to let you know where we are at with that and wanted to express appreciation to you for your generosity and helping us with that project. You know, a parking lot isn't very sexy, but we also understand that uh, we can have all the space in the world inside the building, but if people can't drive here, if they can't park their cars, it, you know, it, it really is a necessary thing, right? So just thank you for that. We have been in a series for a while called Guardrails. And if you haven't been with us, let me bring you up to speed real quick. This is actually going to be our last installment of this series. And then uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be jumping into a series called Think Like Jesus, where we're going to be going through the whole Sermon on the Mount beginning uh, in Matthew chapter 5. So, man, definitely uh, be, be here for that. Next week, I'm going to be doing a sermon uh, because we weren't able to on Pentecost Sunday. We're going to be talking about who is the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is for today. And so I want to challenge you to be here next week. It's going to be a powerful, powerful service next week. But in this guardrail series, if you haven't been around, basically the idea is that God has a path of wisdom for us. And just like, you know, road engineers and our friends from ODOT and other places, these engineers have predetermined and structured white lines and yellow lines and rumble strips and guardrails, and they do all that to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas that so God wants us to, to, to put in place, to pre-decide some personal standards for our life that even though everyone else might say, well, that's kind of dorky, or man, you, you think you're holier than everybody else, you think you're a goody-good, like you, you're putting these, but the, the personal standards, they're not standards that I'm forcing on everyone else, but I set some personal standards in places where I can say, hey, I, I don't want to end up in a place of damage or death. I, I want to actually stay in the place of wisdom, but from time to time, just like in driving, there's times where you get distracted, or there's times where you get a little bit, uh, you know, just tired, and so you hit those rumble strips, so in a similar way that we would have personal standards that are predetermined before we even get into the place of danger. And so over this series, we've been talking about, you know, ha having guardrails and rumble strips in, in, in just practical areas like how we deal with alcohol, and how we deal with our finances, and how we deal with our personal relationships, and how we deal with our words, the, th the things that we say to one another, or we communicate through social media. And so these have all been areas that we've been talking about, but, but really when you come down to it, the, the question that haunts me is, well, why don't we do this? 
Why don't we do this? Some of you have been to every single sermon in this guardrail series, and you have yet to really take some time to sit down and say, what are my guardrails? What are my rumble strips? What are these predetermined personal standards for my life in all kinds of different diverse areas of my life? And why don't we do that? Why don't we? And, and by the way, you can't just think those things. Thinking them isn't going to be enough. You're going to need to write them down. You're going to need to have a conversation if you're married, you, you need to be having a conversation with your spouse. If, if, you, if you're single, you need to have a friend that you can trust to sit down with and say, hey, here's some personal standards that I believe God has for me. These are things that you need to pray about. Why don't we do this? I, I think one of the reasons why we don't do this, and, and I'm not saying this is true about you, probably some people in the first service it might have been true of, but probably nobody in this service, but probably it has to do with laziness. Probably we tell ourselves, well, I don't have time to think about those things, but, but here's my pushback to that is, some of our greatest regrets in life could have been avoided if we would take the time to decide what should be these personal standards in my life. So laziness or not having time, those probably aren't valid. Like, we need to push through that. You know, you know what? I think one of the big reasons why we don't do this is because of just FOMO, the fear of missing out. That we think that we're leaving some fun out there. We're leaving some experiences unexplored. And so we, ah, I don't want to set some personal standards in those areas. To be truthful, most of us, we don't want to be generous. We just want to spend. I, I don't want to work on a difficult marriage. I just want a new one. I don't want to study. I do want a good grade. I do want to graduate. I don't want discipline. I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. Uh, there's a side trail. I'm not going to go down. Okay. So want to, but I'm not. I don't want to be a role model. I just want to be happy. I don't want to watch what I eat. I want to eat whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it, but I still want to be able to fit into my pants, right? I don't, yeah, I don't want to be wise or prudent. I want to have dinner with her. See, the issue is I want everybody else to have personal standards in their life. In fact, I really want the people that I'm close to. I want my spouse. I want my kids. I want my friends to have personal standards in their lives. I just don't want them for myself. And I think, I think what we have to resolve is this truth. And the truth is that your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Like we think, we think, well, you know, I'm not going to put some rumble strips or guardrails in my life. I'm just going to follow my appetites. I'm just going to follow. I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. But here's the thing. Your appetites are never going to be fully and finally satisfied. It just isn't going to happen. When you purchase something that you really shouldn't, does it get it out of your system? No. Does it finally meet this craving, this desire, this need that is deep down inside of you? No. Now you just have something that you don't really need, plus guilt, plus less money or more debt. And now you have an extra temptation of do I tell him or do I tell her? And so, yes, guardrails can be annoying. They require putting time into it. They, regard, they, they require some, maybe some awkward conversations. But not having guardrails in your life can be absolutely devastating. At some point, you will draw lines. It's just a matter of when and where and how much damage you've inflicted along the way. 
And so as followers of Jesus, we have been called to draw some lines, to set some personal standards, not just so we can avoid damage or death of relationships. As followers of Jesus, this goes way deeper than that. As followers of Jesus, we are doing this because we want to most of all honor God. We see what God has done for us. We see how much God loves us, that he doesn't just say I love you, that he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, came to this earth, became one of us, died in our place, took the punishment of our sins upon us, the, 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 the punishment of our sins upon himself, the curse of our sins upon himself. Like This is how much God loves us. And so when I draw these lines, when I set these personal standards, I want to be in alignment with him. I want to honor him. And in the process, I avoid damage and death. One, one of the great examples in scripture of this is actually Daniel. And so I want to I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is near the end of the Old Testament. He's after the big books of the Old Testament. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Then you'll find Daniel. And I really want you to, to look this up. Daniel chapter 1. In, in your Bibles, whether it's an app on your phone or tablet or you have a paper Bible, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 1, let me give you the historical context of what's going on. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of the world. Nebuchadnezzar was the most important man on planet Earth in this time period. And he was the emperor of what was called the Babylonian Empire. And so even if you've never gone to church or Sunday school or VBS or you've never cracked open a Bible in world history class, if you were paying attention back in probably your freshman or sophomore year of high school, you learned about the different world empires and one of the empires was the Babylonian Empire. And Babylon had just, I mean, this was a time when it was very tribal. When you think about the world and how the world governments were set up, very tribal. And the Babylonians came in, and, and of course the Assyrians were the first to do this, but the Babylonians come in behind them, and they just start conquering territory after territory. And one of the territories that they conquered was this Israelite territory. In particular, they conquered the city of Jerusalem. They demolished the walls of Jerusalem, broke through took the temple which had been built by Solomon, this great, incredible structure dedicated to the glory of God, and they just, I mean, no stone was left unturned. I mean, they just demolished the temple. And if that wasn't bad enough, one of the things that the Babylonians did is they would look for the best and the brightest, the, the best looking, uh, uh, specifically individuals without, you know, who just looked like they could be on the cover of a magazine, who were super smart, who had a 4.0 average. They looked for the best and the brightest, and they would cart them hundreds of miles from Jerusalem back to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, if I can say his name, Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to erase all the reminders of Judaism from the minds of these young adults and to fill Babylon with the best and brightest young men. Sorry, young women, you were left out of this whole deal. Handsome, smart, no physical defects. These young men were taught the language and the literature of Babylon, and they were to serve the king. And so among these young men that were taken, again, hundreds of miles from Jerusalem to Babylon, among these young men was a, was a teenager, probably at this point 14 years old, maybe 15 years old, a teenager named Daniel. And the Bible says this, beginning in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. It says the king, this would be Nebuchadnezzar, assigned them, this would be a whole, probably hundreds 
of young men who had been taken not just from Israel, but from other territories as well. The king assigned these young adults a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And they, these young men, these young adults, were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. And so Daniel sees what's going on, and he's smart enough to realize what is about to happen. They've given him a new set of clothes. They've shaved his head, which I think would probably be a good look. They put an earring in his ear. They gave him a new name, his, his birth name. The, the name that his mother gave him at birth was this Hebrew name, Daniel, which means the Lord is our judge, or God is my judge. Elohim, Daniel, El, El for Elohim. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is my judge. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which actually is a name that comes from the, the, the god of the Babylonians, Bel, and that is something like Bel will take care of you. So he goes from God, Elohim, is our judge, to this false god will take care of you. Daniel saw what was happening. Slowly, they were going to strip away everything he believed, everything that he knew, everything that he had placed his faith in. And one day he would wake up and Daniel would be thoroughly Babylonian. He would worship Babylonian gods. He would find it normal to take part in Babylonian ceremonies. And slowly over time, he would forget everything that he grew up believing was true. See, Daniel recognized that compromise weakens our resolve. Compromise always weakens our resolve. It moves the line to a new place. We think, man, there's so much tension in this moment, and, and I just, there's so much angst over my appetites and what I want and what everybody else is saying is true and all this. And so if I just compromise here, it'll just let a little air out. It'll, it'll just bring a little bit of relief. But that's not true. Compromise always weakens our resolve most of all. It's the classic idea of a, of a frog put in a pot of water, and the frog is going, oh, I love this. This is the life, man. This is clean water. It's not like that nasty water that all the other frogs are in. And what he doesn't realize is that slowly the fire underneath has been turned up, and before he knows it, he's boiled alive. We think, oh, if I give in, I won't feel the pressure anymore. But don't you know that if you cheat once, it's always easier to cheat the second time? Once you cross certain lines of debt, it's easier to take on more and more debt. Once you compromise with alcohol or drugs, it's easier the second time. I mean, the second cigarette is always better than the first cigarette. There's so many lines that once you cross them, the tension doesn't go away. It, it's just that your resolve is lessened. So Daniel saw this. He wasn't no dummy. Daniel was pretty sharp. He realized they've changed my clothes. They've changed my name. They've changed my habits. They've changed my schedule. I know where this is going. One day, I will have completely abandoned everything that I held near and dear. And so Daniel did something that we all should do. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are. It says in verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. We're going to look at the area in just a moment. We'll continue the verse in just a moment. I just want to look at this line for a moment. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Would you say that line with me? But Daniel was determined not to 
to defile himself. Specifically, he was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. And I got to tell you, if you're reading this, probably you're like me scratching your head going, that's where you're going to draw the line? I mean, the clothes wasn't a big deal, shaving the head, the new name wasn't a big deal. Like, this is the place where you're going to draw the line. What is up with this food and this drink that has Daniel so riled? Why was he eating this food such an issue? See, what we don't understand is that the context of this is this food that's coming from the king's kitchen had gone through a religious ceremony. It wasn't very long. It was a pretty short ceremony. But where this food had been offered and dedicated to the false gods of Babylon. And so they have this religious ritual. Daniel's fully aware of it. He knows what's going down. And then the food comes out and it's like, all right, dig in. Eat up, boys. And Daniel understands that what he is being asked to do is to accept and approve the authority of non-gods. And I've got to ask the question, Daniel, is this really worth losing your life over? It was for Daniel. It was for Daniel. He saw this as just another compromise. He had already been stretched as far as he was willing to be stretched, and so he determined not to eat it and not to drink it. Why? Because he was determined not to defile himself. What does the word defile mean? It means to pollute or to taint. And I don't, I don't know what it was. I, don't know. I, th- I think he's just being led by the Spirit. And in this moment, he comes to the place. This is just finally a line too far. And he just goes, you know what? He has what I call, and a lot of you in this room aren't going to get this, but some of you will. He has what I call a Popeye moment. Some of you are old enough to remember Popeye, the sailor man, right? Popeye had this arch enemy named Brutus. And Brutus was constantly taking his girlfriend Boy, was she a looker. She was, whoo, come on. And Brutus was always finding ways to take poor little olive oil. And Popeye would have this moment, right? In every episode, Popeye had this moment, and he would say, That's all I can stands, and I can't stands. I can't stands no more, right? Like he has it, and this is what happens for Dan. I don't understand. I, you know, for each of us, this is going to be different. We, we all wish that a pastor, well, we don't really, but sometimes we want, we want a pastor to like give us the list, right? Like just tell me what I can do, what I can't do, what I can see, what I can't see, where I should buy stuff. You know? No, 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 that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit leads us, and, and it, I don't know why for Daniel, but this is a moment where the Holy Spirit says, nope. Nope, you're not going there. Enough is enough. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And so I believe that Daniel, I believe he has this moment, and this scripture doesn't tell us this, but I believe that he has this moment of just, that, that God puts this, just this resolve inside of him, this determination inside of him. One translation says he purposed in his heart. Like there's, there's something that happens inside of him, and scripture doesn't tell us this, but I believe that he just begins to seek the Lord. Just God, what, what do I do here? I know that I'm not supposed to do this. Like, I know this is a step too far. I'm not saying this is a step too far for everybody else, but God, you've put this inside of me that this is a step too far. This is a personal standard, a personal conviction that I can't cross. God, what do you want me to do about it? 
And you notice Daniel doesn't hop up on the table and start screaming at everybody else and preaching at everybody else. He, he doesn't do that. He does something I believe the Holy Spirit put inside of him in this moment to do something that Daniel didn't even know how strategic and intentional this was really going to be. It says in the, the end of verse 8, it says Daniel asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. I love just how common sense this is. He just goes to the chief of staff, a guy named Ashpenaz, who is Nebuchadnezzar's personal chief of staff. And he just says, hey, I don't want to eat this stuff. Now, you got to think that God, there's so much favor here because any parent in this room will tell you, how do you feel when your kid says, I don't want to eat it? Like, in the normal world, the reaction is defensiveness, like, oh, it's on. Right? At least your first kid, maybe your second kid, by the time you get to your third kid, you're like, I don't even care. Just have a bowl of cereal. Right? So in the normal world, if, if you go to, I don't want to eat this food, in the normal world, there would be defensiveness. But what he doesn't understand, what he, what he doesn't understand is God is on the move behind the scenes. And listen, I'm telling you, when you take a stand and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's not inspired by CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, but you take a stand that is being inspired by your commitment to the Word of God, reading through Scripture and the Holy Spirit leading you, I'm telling you, God will work behind the scenes. And I'm not saying that it will all be cupcakes and unicorns corns right the path of wisdom we've been talking about the the road right the road of wisdom just because you're on the road of wisdom doesn't mean that the journey is going to be easy some knucklehead is going to stop right in front of you and you have to slam on your brakes or let's just be honest in ohio the orange barrels just magically appear right they're just (laughs) everywhere right and so this, this doesn't mean, staying in the path of wisdom doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but it, that's the place where God has you. And Daniel doesn't even see what's going on behind the scenes because there's such covering and protection from God. Look at verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. See, Daniel does what only he can do. He's got to have the resolve. He's got to have the determination. He's got to ask the Holy Spirit for insight. Holy Spirit says, go to Ashpenaz. Ask him for favor. So he goes to him, and what he doesn't understand, what Daniel doesn't understand, God's already working behind the scenes. He's already taken a man who normally would have defensiveness and say, you punk kid, you're going to eat what I tell you to eat when I tell you to eat it. Right? This is boot camp. This isn't your little country club place that you lived in in Jerusalem. Now, God had given the chief of staff, God had given him both respect and affection for Daniel. So Daniel and his three Hebrew friends ask for for permission. They say, we just, we want to go vegan. Just a vegetable diet with water. And the chief of staff is actually a little afraid to do it, but he kind of does this wink, nod thing where, where he sends them off to their, their personal guard, and the personal guard allows them to do a 10-day experiment. This is a trial for 10 days. Just, just see what happens. Just, just compare us to the rest of, of the hundreds of kids that are part of this program, young adults that are part of this program, and just see, is there, is, is there a lack in us? When you look at us, are we lacking in any way after 10 days of doing this? And miraculously, after 10 days, not only are they not lacking, they actually look better. Looks like they're, they're better physically. It looks like they have more energy. It looks like they're, they're, they're better at their studies. And so 
And so after 10 days, they just go, man, you look better than the rest of the crew. Uh, Hop to verse 17. It says, God gave these four young men, and you say four, I thought we were talking about Daniel. Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. God gave these four young men an unusual, an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, so this is way beyond the 10 days, this is the three years. When the training period is completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah, or you know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't it amazing how God works behind the scenes? Because of the resolve, because Daniel was determined not to defile himself, that God works, God gives him the wisdom of who to talk to, God gives him favor with that individual. What if establishing some guardrails and rumble strips in your life is the very thing that God wants to use to set you apart? And we have so much angst over this, don't we? Oh, I don't want to, I mean, what are people going to think? How are they, what are they going to say? Like, I mean, imagine Daniel with this food. Can you imagine the reactions of the, of the other students, of the other overseers? What, you think you're too good for us? Don't you know it's an honor to be in your position? People are starving all over the empire, and you're too good for the king's food? Oh, first world problems, Daniel. You should just be glad to be alive, right? I mean, can you, this couldn't have been an easy thing for Daniel. And yet in him taking the stand, in him making this determination, this is the very thing that sets him apart from all the other students. Maybe, just maybe, that conviction that is inside of you, that you go, I don't know why I'm so convicted over this. Nobody else even seems to be. No one else seems to be bothered by this. But man, there is this, maybe just maybe the spirit of God, if it's in alignment with God's word, has put that inside of you. And maybe if you would determine not to taint and pollute yourself, and if you would ask the Lord for wisdom, and not just be a jerk about it and stupid about it, but just look for that strategic, intentional way of following the Lord, maybe you would find that he just shows the way. And that there would be fruitfulness in that. See, this was the beginning of a journey for Daniel. Like I mentioned, in the beginning, he's like 14 years old. He would spend decades not only under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, but under other rulers as well. And even other foreign rulers that would come in and take over beyond the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Medes. This was the beginning of a journey for Daniel. Little did he know that soon the government would use force to get him and his friends to approve of their worship. Daniel chapter 3, they would erect a great big statue of the king. He was so full of himself. He would say, oh, you must bow to my statue. In other words, you've got, it, it goes beyond just accepting and affirming what we're saying. We're saying now that if you don't accept and affirm of this, that, and we see you doing this, you're going to be punished. You're, you're going to, there's going to be death. Daniel chapter 6, eventually they would make laws now prohibiting worship altogether. In fact, if we find you praying to your one true God, the God of, of Israel, if we find you praying to him, we're going to throw you in a, in a den of lions. And Daniel and his friends continued to st- stand in spite of these regulations. 
It all started right here in chapter 1 with a simple decision. That's as far as I go. I have determined not to defile myself. Before I know the end of the story, before I know how this all pans out, you can punish me. You can put me in the furnace. You can throw me in the lion's den. I, I just know that this is a line that I cannot cross. I don't know what the future is, but this is a line that I cannot cross. Here's the thing. Some of our, if not all of our greatest regrets would have been avoided if we had predetermined to install some guardrails, some rumble strips into our lives. And like Daniel, you've got to determine in your heart, that's it for me, regardless of what anybody else says or thinks, this is a personal standard, this is a line that I will not cross. And I want this so much for you. I know some of you might think that this is extreme, but I believe with all of my heart that God will honor your decision to establish guardrails and rumble strips. As long as they're in alignment with his word and his character. And in a crazy, mixed-up culture, God will use you just like he did Daniel. But you have got to determine. See, the, the end purpose for Daniel wasn't, what, it, what, this wasn't a competition thing for Daniel. Daniel, this wasn't about him being better than all the other students, all the other young adults. Daniel just simply wanted to be in alignment with God. He just simply didn't want to pollute himself. Daniel knew that if he stayed on God's path of wisdom, that God would take care of him. So here's my question for you. What are the personal standards that you need to predetermine? Predetermine is such a big word in all of this. That before you get into the place of temptation, before you get into the place of trouble, where, where are the places that you need to predetermine some standards that are personal for you? Doesn't mean that everybody else has to have those standards, but you decide because of your understanding of the word of God and how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, hey, this is an area that I need to have a personal standard. Where does it need to be for you? Over the course of the last few weeks, we've talked about alcohol, we've talked about finances, we've talked about our physical, emotional relationships. Talked about social media, talked about our words that we speak. Where are the standards that you need to set? And how are you going to communicate those things to at least somebody else in your life so that you can stick to them? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. As I was praying, um, over the last week, especially as I was praying yesterday over this, I feel like I need to give you a moment, kind of like a Selah moment. In Hebrew, it, it, David would write these psalms, and he would write a stanza, and every once in a while, if you read in a King James Version, you'll see this word that says Selah. In the new translations, they'll use words like intermission or something. A Selah moment that before we just take all this and go, okay, that was great, now let me eat some tacos, Right? That before we just run right out of here, that we take a moment just to, just between you and God. Just say, God, where, where are some areas that I need to determine not to defile myself? 
Maybe it's proactive. Maybe these next few minutes is proactive. Maybe for some of you in this room, these next few moments are are moments of confession and repentance. God, you showed me what those lines were, what those standards were, and I, I went right past them, and I've done some damage. God, I just confess those things to you. I ask that you would forgive me. Maybe for you in this room, you've been hurt by the damage of other people that just went right past some standards that didn't just damage themselves, but it brought damage to you. And you need to just just say, God, would you release me from the oppression that I feel from that? God, I don't understand why they did that or why, why that happened. But, but just let's just take the next few moments just say, God, show me what my response needs to be. I love, if you were here a few weeks ago when Stan Tharp came and he talked about, God, where are you, right? Like, why do bad things happen? And he, he said, you know, that we can ask the question, why, all day long, and it doesn't really help us, right? But he said, a great question to ask is, what now? What next? What do I do in this space that I've been given right now? That's, that's what we're doing. It's just, God, what, what now? Maybe I need to confess some stuff. Maybe I need to repent. But God, what now? What are some standards that I can set now? I, I can't drive looking through the rearview mirror. I drive with the windshield in front of me. So God, what, what is next? So I'm going to finally shut up. It's take about three minutes. And I'll come back and pray and we'll conclude and dismiss you. If you need to kneel or sit, or some of you might even want to come to the front to have just a little bit of personal privacy, you're welcome to do that. About three minutes, and then we'll come back and discuss.
Our souls need these moments of, of just quiet. We sang this bridge earlier in the service. I'll stand strong or I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Do we mean that? Am I willing to be crucified with Christ? So Father, I pray, and I'm including myself in this, God, that we would be a Daniel generation in a culture that is losing its ever-living mind. God, that we would be like Daniel, determined not to defile ourselves. And God, this requires clarity. It requires hearing your voice. It requires listening to you and courageously obeying what you put in front of us. The God, the, the goal isn't to compete and to look better than everybody else. The goal is just simply to be in alignment with you, to obey you, to follow you. May we be a Daniel generation. May we hear your voice. May we have the courage to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things before you go. Remember your connection cards. We have some good-looking people back there with white buckets, and they'll be helping you out. If you want to be baptized, next week is our baptism Sunday. Mark that on your card. We'll get you some info. And then come back next week. We're going to be talking about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does the fullness of the Holy Spirit really look like? God bless you guys. We'll see you later.